I think that if you have a really, if you have a well-trained and well-equipped mental health care provider, they are going to be able to honor your faith, regardless of what it is that you believe in, and to hold space for that within the therapeutic context. And they will be able to, to listen and to honor what it is that you believe in and how it relates to your symptoms, how it relates to your current, you know, clinical circumstances and situations. You know, when I talk with mental health care providers, there's a few reasons that I want them to be considering clients' faith um, in mental health treatment. Of course, you know, we have research that is continuing to grow that shows that when you ethically integrate clients' faith, um, and that can be from like asking a question at intake about their faith or weaving in coping statements that honor the client's faith. Um, when we do that in treatment, it actually improves client outcomes. They get better faster and have a longer term of like a reduction in symptoms um, by paying attention to this area of their lives as compared to a type of treatment that just completely isolates their faith from the conversation. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 45. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So glad you're back joining me today. I'm super excited for today's conversation as we are really talking about how faith and mental health treatments integrate. And I think this is going to be a great conversation for kind of both sides of the table. I think this will help clarify how faith and therapy can work together for those who are considering therapy or mental health treatment and are having some questions about how that works together. I think this is also going to be great for mental health care providers who are wanting to know more about what it looks like and how important it is to include a person's faith in these sessions. So some of the things that we're specifically covering in this episode is why mental health care providers should thoroughly consider a person's faith background as a key part of their healing and what some of the growing research has to show about this. We're talking about some examples of how faith and therapy can integrate in mental health treatments, as well as some of the barriers and supports that mental health care providers have to navigate when it comes to integrating faith and therapy. And we're also answering some kind of gray area questions that I always get, and that's, should Christians only be seeing a Christian therapist? So this episode is going to discuss all of these things and more, and I couldn't think of anyone better to have this conversation with than Dr. Holly Oxhandler, who is someone that I both consider a friend and admire her work greatly. She is the Associate Dean for Research and Faculty Development and an Associate Professor at Baylor University's School of Social Work. Holly studies religion, spirituality, health, and mental health, and is especially interested in whether and how mental health and behavioral health therapists discuss their clients' religious and spiritual beliefs and treatment. She also developed and validated the religious spirituality integrated practices 
practice assessment scale, in addition to other instruments to measure the integration of clients' religion, spirituality, and mental health treatments, and has written for numerous academic journals, and her research has been featured in the Washington Post, Consumer Affairs, Religion News Service, and more. She also co-hosts the weekly podcast, CXMH, Christianity and Mental Health, with my friend Robert Bohr, and lives in Waco, Texas, with her family. Needless to say, Dr. Holly Oxenler has done a wealth of work um, in this area of integrating faith and mental health treatments and behavioral health treatments. So I love how we're really able to do a deep dive into how these dynamics practically work together. I just know you're going to enjoy this topic as much as I did. So without further ado, here is my conversation with my friend, Holly. Holly, it's so great to have you on the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. I feel like this conversation is long overdue. How are you doing over there? Hey, Brittany. I am doing well. I am, gosh, I'm so honored to to be on the podcast today and just so excited for the opportunity to connect with you and to get to talk with you about this topic that I know is so near and dear to both of our hearts. So Yes, yeah. yes. Every time you post something in you know in the realm of faith and mental health and the data that you're doing in your research I just I get so excited I told you before Mm. like everything you do lands on me and I'm just cheering you on and can't wait to share um all of the the resource that you are to everyone who's listening um but Mm. before we dive in is there a like interesting fact about you that most people don't know (laughs) that's a great question um I think the interesting fact that probably not everyone knows about me, although listeners of CXMH may have picked up on this mm-hmm. a little bit, um, but I am a an avid Dave Matthews Band fan and oh. have been listening to them since I was nine years old and have seen them like over 30 times all across the country <laughs> and I'm just I mean I just love their music more than more than I can say so, so. I'm gonna sound super ignorant but who is the David Matthews ah, band <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> no you just made my you just made my world like hearing okay. that because I have not I don't think I've come across someone who hasn't known of them yet or not recently right. so right. I love I'm it. a no, unicorn no, no. It's amazing. I know <laughs> it's amazing it makes me feel like like that's amazing um but they I mean they have I mean there's like some of their their songs that people might know would be mm-hmm. like crash or satellite or and I'm not going to sing it cuz your listeners do not want to listen to me sing. <laughs> I can do research, I can't sing. Um but I don't know. I'll send you some links after we we chat today. Okay. Yeah, for you to check them out. And we'll leave it to the listeners to Google this so we can join in on the uh, fanatics It's amazing. (laughs) I love it. It's awesome. So for those who aren't familiar with you, um, again, you know, Holly, Dr. Holly does a lot of great work at the intersection of faith and mental health at Baylor. And... um, So that being said, I don't want to give away all of your story. I'd love for you to share for those who aren't familiar with you, like what led up to the work that you're doing today? Mm, Gosh, I love that question, Brittany. That is such a good one. Um, I, so this is, I mean, it's, it's certainly, 
it's it's been a long journey, but I won't go mm-hmm. into all of the nuance of it. I'm in the process of writing quite a bit about it right now that um, hopefully folks will learn about at some point yes. in the future. Um, but I would say that for me, it really, it kind of started back when I was about um, 10. My parents were in the process of going through a divorce and I was exposed to um, seeing a therapist when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And... I learned really quickly when I was younger, whereas like my friends were talking about, you know, wanting to be a firefighter or a teacher or something like that. I was like, I want to be a therapist. Like I want to hold that space for people because Mm -hmm. someone did that for me and it was transformative for me even as a young kid. And so I, um, you know, continuing on, I, I went to college thinking, you know, maybe like I would be either a teacher or um, or a psychologist. I, I ended up landing with getting my undergrad in psychology. Um, my minor was in studio art. Um, and, and I ended up going on um, after my undergrad degree to work with a research team who is doing cognitive behavioral therapy with older adults with anxiety and mm. depression. Um, my, I love that. Yeah, it was it was amazing this opportunity to get to work um, with these older adults, and you know, my faith had always been something that was important to me, something I wrestled with and went through the deconstruction and reconstruction process quite a bit when I was younger. Um, but when I was working with this project, I kept hearing these older adults say that that their faith was important, and as they mm-hmm. were coming up with like, you know, cognitive restructuring and coping statements. They would they would talk about their faith as part of that. And my um, you know, my my supervisors at that time were were kind of like, ah, just don't go there, don't talk about it. Like we, that's not what we're doing. But then right. we ended up deciding to do like a side project um to try to get a sense of to what degree do older adults want to talk about their faith? And we found that overwhelmingly they do want to talk about their faith as it relates to their mental health treatment, and they want the therapist to be the one to bring it up. So mm. that said, that was before moving into starting my MSW program. I really like fell in love with social work. I love the values within social work and the approach that social workers take when it comes to working with individuals. And plus, I really like the idea that I could possibly get my MSW and go and practice just within two years instead of um, yeah. oh my <laughs> instead gosh. of yes. going through you know the six years for it's a, a good PhD. idea yeah but of course you know God has different plans and that all went out the window anyways but that's yeah. okay um, but um, when I started my MSW program I remember like being in this auditorium with all of my colleagues and we were talking about culture and um, strengths perspective and the person within their environment and resilience and all of these these things that kind of tangentially connected with faith, but we never talked about faith. And yeah. it was so awkward. And, and so anyway, so I ended up wrestling with that for a semester. I decided to go on and um, pursue my PhD and um, did that alongside my MSW coursework and really just fell head over heels in love with um, trying to better understand the degree to which mental health care providers integrate clients' faith in mental health treatment, um, what mm-hmm. supports them to do this, what gets in the way, um, what, where we need to go in terms of training, all of these different areas. And, and it's really what I've, I've dedicated my life's work to, to better understand at this point. So 
Hopefully that's a quick yes. enough summary. No, all, that yeah. was super concise and so well said. And mm. I I mean, I just think you're phenomenal and everything mm. you're saying is preaching to my heart right now. So I'm super excited for everything that you're continuing to do. And you guys be sure to check out our Instagram where um, I love how you share these kind of like quick notes mm-hmm. on what the data is showing yes. about faith and and mental health and providers yes. in, in therapy and social work. So mm-hmm. um, I love that you do that because sometimes research can be so dense. And I always say it's just, it's not for the everyday person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I love when people like you are, and this is something I'm passionate about as well, taking the research, taking the data and putting it into layman terms yes. um, that the everyday person can understand. Um that being said, yeah. I actually want to start off with like a hot topic question and then dive into the integration of faith and therapy. Yeah. So no, that's I fine. get this question all the time um, and we can both kind of expound on it. Should Christians only be seeing a Christian therapist? And I hate to frame it with the word should because I know we don't like to tell people well, like what they should be doing because mm-hmm. um, that's their personal choice and conviction. Mm-hmm. But this is something that comes up. And so I would love to expound on thoughts around that. Yeah. No, I. that's such a – I mean, I know you're right. It is a common question. I've yeah. heard it too. And it does feel like a – Hot topic question, but what's so funny is that actually I know you know you and I both know Robert Bohr, who is my co-host on CXMH. When he first asked me to come on to CXMH, I mean that was literally the whole the question that he had that was the focus of our whole um, podcast episode. Was so I I love that you're asking it, but I think you're right. It continues to be that like, is this okay or? Um, right. So, There's a mistrust and skepticism there. Yeah, yeah. So I would say, I mean, in that episode, which listeners are welcome to listen back to, um, and I unpack it within the 45 minutes, but the, the short answer is no, I don't think Christians only need to see a Christian therapist. Um, we don't feel mm-hmm. that same way about our our primary care physician. We don't feel that same way about our dentists. Um, you know, these are licensed, trained providers who are equipped to be able to navigate um, mental health issues across the spectrum, recognizing that our mental health is a spectrum, just like our physical health, um, I mean, in the same way. And I think that if you have a really if you have a well-trained and well-equipped mental health care provider, they are going to be able to honor your faith regardless of what it is that you believe in and to hold space mm-hmm. for that within the therapeutic context. And they will be able to, to listen and to honor what it is that you believe in and how it relates to your symptoms, how it relates to your current you know, clinical circumstances and situations. Um, and so... So short, as a short answer, I would say no, it doesn't have to be a Christian. And in fact, we see that there's actually quite a bit of discrepancy between what we see in terms of the religious and spiritual beliefs and practices between mental health care providers and clients. Mm-hmm. They they end up generally not always believing the same thing. Um, right. there's, there seems to be some pretty big differences kind of across the country when it comes to these two groups. And so... I don't think, um, no, it doesn't have to be. Um, And, you know, 
Yeah, and I think sometimes some of the best mental health care providers we can have do have different views from us because they help us to think about things a little bit differently in some ways, and, and that's okay too. So yeah, that would be my short answer. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, I think the key word is like have to, like you don't have to, like if you are able to, if you're able to find that, if you're able to find someone in your, you know, insurance network where it's covered, right? Because you're also considering finances. For sure. Yes. And then if if you happen to find someone who's that that fit, phenomenal. That's fantastic. And that's probably very helpful, Mm -hmm. you know, but at the same time, like you said, mental health is like physical health. You know, um, a lot of these mental health challenges are rooted in neurological, biological, you know, psychological factors um, that someone who is trained and licensed um, has a system of uh, therapeutic, you know, tools that are evidence based mm-hmm. that can help you get unstuck. Yeah. At the end of the day, and so at, it's really like at the end of the day, what you want is competency. Yes. You know, you want someone who can get you unstuck, who can help you navigate things in a way that is fitting to you, that does help you, that gets you out of, 
you know, the depression, the anxiety, the rut, and has the tools for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because you could have someone who's a Christian and not a great yes, fit for you or right. not a great or competent therapist. Or you could likewise has likewise have someone who may not, um, you know, identify as Christian, but they have all the tools to get you unstuck. And I think the people are afraid that if they're not seeing a Christian therapist, a therapist might introduce maybe some like new age mm, stuff or mm-hmm. some philosophical things that don't align. And um, again, like a competent therapist knows those boundaries and limits. It would, and it is not their job to impose, right? No, absolutely. <laughs> you know, a belief system on you, and they. I mean, they shouldn't be. Like, they more than likely won't be. No, it's it's unethical for them to. It's unethical. In fact. Yeah, it's unethical for yeah. them to do that. And one thing I was just thinking of, too, we have, you know, if part of the reason that someone's unsure, you know, about if it needs to be a Christian or not is also thinking about, well, are they going to care about my beliefs if they're a Christian or not? What we've found within some of the data right. that we've collected, we, we were able to compare Christian versus non-Christian with regard to um, clinical social workers, their, their views and their behaviors around integrating clients' faith. And we found between, you know, at least between Christians and non-Christians, there were no differences. They both had the same general views and behaviors when it ca- came to integrating clients' faith. So again, I really mm. think it goes it comes down to like they are trained to be paying attention to the client's culture, the clients, um, you know, they're hopefully paying attention to their faith too, um, right. and various other areas of the client's lives. And and ethically they should be integrating and paying attention to each of these areas. Yeah, so. and being sensitive to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And then oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, and also just seeing mental health care, mental health support and treatment as a, like, these are tools in a tool belt. So oftentimes therapy, you know, it will help with the right mental health conditions mm-hmm. and all of all of that that's going on can give you a full assessment to say, okay, these are the symptoms. Okay, this looks like, and it's how severe it is, mm-hmm. how much it's impacting your able your ability to function and be able to give you like a kind of a concrete summary of what it is you're going through and yeah. based off of that, what treatments to give you, right? Right. So that's a therapeutic context. And they may not be your spiritual context, right? You may not find everything, every aspect of you in a therapist. Right. In that therapist. It'd be nice if you can. But, you know, you have your church support, right? Right. You have That's right. your church community. And then you also have friends. You have family. You have, again, and again being holistic, nutrition. You have your mm-hmm. daily lifestyle. All of these are tools in a tool belt right. that make a holistic support for you. Yes. So you may be finding these different areas of support in, in different areas of your life instead of finding all of these things in one person, that's, right? Yes, and absolutely. That's okay. Yes, absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So glad that we could clarify that. Yes. So now, from now on, when I get asked that, I'll just refer to this podcast. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Great. That just made my life easier. Mm. So, um, so with all the research and data that you're doing at this intersection, can you tell us about why mental health care providers should be considering clients' religion or spirituality in mental health treatment? Like, as far as just, again, cultural competency, like, why... 
why is that important to be looking at and thinking about? Yeah, yeah, this it's such a good question. Um, so I think there's a few reasons that, you know, when I talk with mental health care providers, there's a few reasons that I want them to be considering clients' faith um, in mental health treatment. Of course, you know, we have research that is continuing to grow that shows that when you ethically integrate clients' faith, um, and that can be from like asking a question at intake about their faith or weaving in coping statements that honor the Mm -hmm. client's faith. Um, When we do that in treatment, it actually improves client outcomes. They get better faster and have a longer term of like a reduction in symptoms um, by paying Hmm. attention to this area of their lives as compared to a type of treatment that just completely isolates their faith from the conversation. So from a research standpoint, we see that we should be considering clients' faith because it helps them. And that's our that's our goal as mental health care providers is to help clients. So why wouldn't we use the things that are going to help them overall? Um, so that's yeah. for sure one major one. We also, you know, when I talk with mental health care providers, um, I want them to be considering clients' faith because clients are saying that this is something that's important to them. Um, you know, we know that at least 77% of U.S. adults consider religion to be at least somewhat or very important in their lives. We know mm-hmm. that half of, um, over half of U.S. adults are praying on a daily basis. Um, we know that a 9 out of 10 um, believe in a God or higher power. And so this is an area of clients' lives that is really important to them. And not only is it important to them, but they want to talk about it as it relates to treatment. And they want the mental health care provider to be the one to initiate that conversation because it's such a taboo topic. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's one of those topics that we, we don't really know if we can go there or talk with folks about. And so when we have that power differential in therapy um, where clients are, you know, they're vulnerable and they may feel like they, they can't um, talk about some of these topics, it's really then on the mental health care provider to say, hey, if this is something important to you, let's talk about it in here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those are those are usually like the two the two main ones is just we've got research that shows that it helps them. And then we've got clients saying they want to talk about it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there it is. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. And just to affirm what you're saying from a personal perspective, yeah. I remember going to see a a um, Christian therapist, which by the way, this has happened to me a number of times. I did not know they were Christian. Mm. Um, I just sought out this therapist and it turned out that they were Mm -hmm. also a believer and that, you know, that expounded our relationship and really benefited. So that was great. So you also never know. Right. No, that's so (laughs) Um, good. You you never know because sometimes a lot of therapists will not publicly state Right. Their beliefs because they want to be inclusive and, and help everyone and right. not turn anyone off or away mm-hmm. from any stigmas. But you'd be surprised, you know. Um, mm-hmm. They have they usually have some. I mean, they have some concept of faith, <laughs> yes. you know. Yeah. Um. So I did see one, and we prayed in our sessions, and she also provided like biblical affirmations, and these were scriptures I knew but it was just like the reminder to affirm these truths mm-hmm. and as they align with my worldview yes um even though it was nothing new or novel just having that support 
of faith for me just really clicked and helped me heal. I feel like faster, like Mm. you just said. Um, I really do believe that. So I totally agree. And that being said, what would you say are some examples of integrating faith in mental health treatments? I know I mentioned like prayer. Yeah. um, Yeah, of like what that could look like for a therapeutic relationship. Yeah, well, I love, I mean, I love that you, that that helped and worked, you know, between you and your therapist. I love that it wasn't like you were seeking a particular faith tradition, but that it so happened that that you shared the same general faith tradition. And the way that you described it, it sounded like, you know, your therapist wasn't like prescribing you a a Bible verse for you to like go out, you know, but it was like, hey, this is something that's important to let's work within your tradition that she so happened to share um, and then to pull and draw from like prayer and and scripture in that way. I I love that. I think that's really good. Um, I think certainly that could be an example. I know I mentioned like including asking about um, the client's faith at intake. You know, whenever you go to see a new therapist or a new doctor, you have to fill out that intake form that asks you a bunch of questions about who, you know, who you are and what you value and and how it relates to treatment. Um, So that is an easy one. But I would say even with that, you know, if there is anyone listening who is a mental health care provider, I would hope that 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 intake form wouldn't just say like, what is your religious affiliation, but would also ask a question about like, do you want to talk about your faith as it relates to the work we do together? Um, Because religious affiliation can really only tell us so much, but man, there's so much more nuance. I was going to say, there's just a spectrum of what people believe, even within the Christian faith. Right, that's right. And how many folks who are like, well, I grew up this way, but I don't necessarily align with that belief system anymore. You know, so I think kind of asking how it relates to the treatment is really important. Um, That said, I think what once you kind of are moving into the treatment and the work that you're doing like together between the client and the therapist, I think um, paying attention to the ways in which faith can be a source of support and comfort and something that the client is leaning on to navigate their difficult situations, um, you know, drawing on uh, verses maybe or prayers or readings that are helpful within that tradition, I think can be helpful. Um, But I think, you know, we also recognize that there's a lot of ways in which um, faith can be an area that hurts a lot of folks too. Right, right. So I think integrating faith in mental health treatment is not just about looking at all the good that faith has, but it's also holding space for the ways in which folks have been hurt by their faith communities or cut off. Deconstruction. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, wrestling through those dark nights of the soul that St. John of the Cross talks about and those seasons in which we're really like, where is our community or where is God in this? Or um, there's uh, Julie Exlean has, Dr. Julie Exlean has done a bunch of work around spiritual struggles. And um, for the client and the therapist to work through spiritual struggles within the realm of the clinical work they're doing, you know, you don't want to extend over into um, doing theological work that is outside right, of the, right. yeah, the provider's training. Um, but holding space for those spiritual struggles, like if a client is like, where's God in all of this? Or navigating moral struggles that they may feel for whatever reason, Um There's just, I mean, there's those areas as well. Um, I know 
there's also, you know, I talked about how we can weave in coping statements that honor our faith tradition as part of treatment, especially like in that work that I did with older adults with anxiety and depression. Um, you know, we, I had, gosh, I love, I had this one client who, you know, regularly her coping statement was, you know, God will never give me more than I can handle. And when Mm -hmm. I was told in my training, like, don't talk about their faith, I was like, I don't know what to do with this then when she's yeah. like, this is her coping statement. And this is a prominent part of her yes, coping. That's yeah. right. And so, but like, I think coping statements can be part of that. I think that, um, you know, reframing the way that we engage in reframing. Gonna, yeah. I would just, I love the word reframing. I was just going to say like, that's how we reframe. That's right. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Um, I think that's important, but then also recognizing and being careful that we're going, we're not going to a place of bypassing where we're leaning on our, our spirituality or our faith in a way that just bypasses, um, the heart that we're navigating. But there's, I mean, there's so much more. One of my mentors, Ken Pargament, has done a ton of work around, um, religious coping mechanisms. I think those weave into this and thinking about, like, are we engaging in um, cope, like a coping strategy where we work with our higher power, which is called a collaborative coping strategy? Or mm-hmm. are we leaning on a deferring coping strategy where we basically are like, no, God, go ahead. You got this. I will step back. Um, or are we trying to control the situation and right. have a self-directed coping strategy? Um, and interestingly, the collaborative coping strategy where we work with our higher power, that actually has data in the research that shows that that's the that has the most positive outcomes um isn't that fascinating that is so and it makes sense yeah yeah for sure because it's the it's like it's like where the faith meets works right that's right right exactly because we know faith without works is dead Mm -hmm. and so it's you collaborating your faith with god and Mm -hmm. and also doing the work as well being practical that makes so much sense so it's so cool when the data just reflects um, this kind of common sense wisdom that even though it's common sense wisdom, we just don't necessarily always do. Yes, that's right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I guess I have kind of like a murky, a murkier question, but you did kind of bring it up. Like, where as far as the limits like the theological limits like you said if it's if there's a uh, mental health care provider and it's like you know knowing where your limits are theologically with that client like really even knowing where that is because like what if you do what if there are clients that are like having just even questions about what is a sin and what is considered a sin right and that's a belief system and so is it this like I'm wondering, like, what is, do you refer to that community that of faith that they go to? Like, mm. you know, is this something you should be talking to your pastor with? Or as far as really tying down those theological yeah. answers that are rooted in a belief system, and I guess I'll tack a second part onto sure. this. Yeah. Especially when you kind of know that that faith community is toxic mm. or spiritually abusive, mm-hmm. you know, or their idea of, let's say, depression and sin. Yeah. is very toxic, you know, yeah. um, and it's more harmful. Yeah. Um, I guess knowing the line of when to, where where your theological input begins and yeah. ends. Yeah. No, I, and, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's murky. It's, 
No, as hard as as hard as it is to ask the question, it's just as hard to navigate for each mental yeah. health care provider, I think, and with yeah. each client and within each faith tradition. And like this is one of those areas that are really difficult to navigate and why we need continual like consultation and talking right. with other mental health care providers and building a team of faith leaders to navigate some of these topics. Um so that said, I would say hopefully a few things. I mean, hopefully the mental health care provider does have a list of some mental health care or I'm sorry, hopefully the mental health care provider has a list of some faith leaders that they can talk through some of these things with and yeah. kind of get some insight from you know, maybe some other perspectives and other faith traditions and also just other faith leaders even within the same tradition. Um, right. I think having a list, too, of faith leaders to refer the client to and knowing where those faith leaders stand on a number of difficult topics that, you know, mental health care providers are right alongside their clients navigating those difficult topics. So yeah. they hopefully have um, uh, some faith leaders to consult with and to refer their clients to that they know that that faith leader isn't going to cause more harm. Like right. they know where they, they stand on some of these issues um, and can hopefully help the client as they navigate whatever it is that the client is, is navigating. Um and, and then as far as like, you know, what to do when the the faith community of that client is perhaps a toxic faith community or, you know, perhaps they disagree with some of the, either some of the research or some of what the, the um, mental health care provider is hoping mm-hmm. for the client or maybe it's not congruent with the client's goals or whatever. Um, I think, again, that's where... There just needs to be continual and open conversation between the client and the provider and building and focusing on building that therapeutic alliance with the client, I think is so important so that, you know, as the mental health care provider kind of um, turns, I mean, I think of it as like turning a gem and like you start to see it different angles as you turn it. And as the, yeah, and as the, as the provider is helping to turn that gem so the client can see different perspectives of it hopefully having built that therapeutic alliance the client trusts the provider to show them like hey just like they could point out any other area of the client's lives that could be potentially harming them this could be one as well and so right you know again it's not it's not an easy yeah this is this is ethics i mean this is these are the ethics that we have to walk through and navigate um recognizing too at the end of the day that especially in social work we focus on client self-determination and their priorities and you know um and we can't impose our beliefs and we don't want to do that um right but we also don't want our clients to be continually traumatized or hurt either and so it's difficult it's like period. That's how I feel at the end of the yeah. day. It's like if it is more harmful yeah. and it is more destructive and it is fueling a cycle of shame that is deteriorating yeah. you, yeah. that matters more yes. to me. Yes. That's ex- you know. Yes, um, exactly. And just even like even for me, I guess over time in my own healing and growth process and my own just navigating my own faith through mm-hmm. mental health and mm-hmm. coming to the conclusions that I have about faith and mental health mm-hmm. that are different than what I heard growing yeah, up. Yeah. Um, it, it was this process of learning to tune into my convictions, mm-hmm. which is something that some churches, not all, but some of them 
basically teach you how to disconnect. Yeah. Like to disconnect from those convictions of what your mind and your body is trying to tell you and something's wrong. Oh, gosh, it just makes my heart hurt so much. Right, that right. that is not how And God it's just like what us. they said, you know, yeah. just like, well, you know, the word said or the pastor said this and then oftentimes it doesn't have context. Yes, that's right. right. About, that's it doesn't right. have context around mental health. Right. But then you have these convictions like I feel, you know, like I feel like, this isn't right or this isn't really taking into the context of this person's mental health and that it isn't just, it's beyond their, you know, willpower or there's more going on than than just this blanket statement of, well, it's a sin. Oh, anxiety, you need to trust God more. Well, you know, depression is because, you know, and whatever it is, you know, that is a blanket statement over mental health. Yeah. Where we're taught to kind of bypass and ignore these convictions that may be telling us that this is this is toxic theology. Yes, yes. You know, but it's also wrapped in this community that you're mm-hmm. so integrated with. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I know that's a whole other topic you know, when it comes I, to I know. breaking away from spiritual abuse and deconstruction from you know, these harmful ideologies that can happen. Yeah. I mean, it just it just breaks my heart, though, so much because it, I mean, we would never say that to folks if they had a broken arm. Just, right. We would never say that. Like, why would we say that when it comes to mental health struggles? Why can we not show the same compassion, the same love, the same genuine, you know, desire and empathy of walking alongside them and saying, you are hurting and I want to come alongside and help you and care for you and love you because that is what we do as, I mean, right. I, oh gosh. Oh. Right. And I know this is like a whole separate conversation. I know, I know. The perspectives. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because that comes down to like all these misunderstandings about what mental health even is. I know. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, and that it, it's not just 100% spiritual, but there are all these other dynamics right. biologically, psychologically, genetically, socially, yes. you know, right? Yes. So yes, absolutely. it comes down to perspective. Like you said, turning that gem and realizing there are so many more perspectives to this. Yes. That's right. Um, that yep. are also evidence based. Like, right. You know, not just saying it, but literally, like, you can tangibly see that these right. things are true. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah. So, oh, man. oh, we could go in a whole other I direction. Love- so I'm going to bring it back. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, I know. So nice. We're going to have to, like, do this again yes. and, and dive into the, the other gray stuff. I love gray areas. That's I just- awesome. We, we need to be talking about them. So I love it. That's so Yes. Great. Well, that being said, um... What are some of the barriers, and we kind of just touched on it a bit, the barriers that mental health care providers navigate when it comes to integrating a client's religion or spirituality, and what are some of the supports that they have yeah. for these mental health professionals that are trying to navigate that? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question, too. I That's one that I have really loved diving into in some of my research um, more recently, where I'm asking, you know, social workers about this and LMFTs and counselors and psychologists and nurses and trying to get a sense of, you know, across these disciplines, what is getting in the way um, over and over? And like what and like you asked, you know, what's helping them as well? Um, Some more recent research we're wanting to see what's happening in the classroom with training, but that'll Mm -hmm. be for another conversation. But in terms of like in practice, um, we so like just looking at this one national survey we did of clinical social workers and the numbers are pretty comparable to the other disciplines. 
we see that about a third of clinical social workers just say there's nothing that gets in the way. They just there's just nothing, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting because we saw it from some of the quantitative data, which is like looking at the numbers and the survey yeah. responses that they weren't doing it. So it so that's interesting. But then mm. um, for many folks, they say that um, actually about one out of five just straight up say, I just wait for the client to bring it up. Um, Like they just purely wait for the client, which is problematic because we already talked about this, that clients want the therapist to be the one to open that door. So, yes. so that's there are, a lot of them are already kind of intimidated, not knowing what to expect. Yeah. And they're expecting you to kind of take the lead. That's exactly right. Especially in those first few sessions. So, so that was one. um, But we saw that there were a number of, um, you know, practitioner related limitations, such as like they didn't have enough training or they're afraid or uncomfortable about how to talk about it, or um, they're just not really familiar with different faith traditions, or maybe their own personal journey with faith would prevent them from talking about it with their clients. We yeah. saw that um, they also indicated, you know, maybe the some client related limitations, like the client didn't want to talk about it or the client kind of to what you were talking about before, had really restrictive beliefs that yeah. was difficult for the therapist to work with. Um, and then we also see, of course, that there can be some outside limitations, like if the agency isn't supportive of this topic or if there's right. a lack of time or something like that. So um, so those are a few barriers. And then as far as like what supports um, talking about this area of clients' lives, what was fascinating is that almost half of the respondents, and this was an open-ended, like they could write whatever they wanted, half of them, almost half, noted something about their own personal faith journey as supporting Mm -hmm. them for talking about clients' um, faith. And that actually matched with the survey data because we found that the top predictor of um, whether or not practitioners are talking, like what their views and behaviors are around integrating clients' faith, the top predictor was their own intrinsic religiosity, which translates to like how motivated they are to live out their faith. So Mm. to then to see about half of them are like, well, what helps me to talk about clients' faith is my own personal journey with faith or my own belief system or I'm curious about it. So that was interesting. Yeah. Um, And then we see that having some training is supportive. And then many folks also noted um, just having a, a practice that is sensitive to religion and spirituality, whether that includes like having a person-centered approach or, you know, including religion or spirituality in the assessment um, or being mindful of 12-step programs and how that integrates faith, um, things like that. So, yeah, so, yeah, it's been interesting um, kind of just hearing what, what folks are saying is happening in practice and what's helping and what's getting in the way. So I think that's amazing. Like, yeah, and it makes sense. Like all, a lot of people do want faith integrated in some way, or at least at the very least supported, mm-hmm. and not um, and not like countered, right? Right, right. Which isn't I don't I wouldn't say is normal as usual. Yeah. Um, in the therapeutic context, uh, and for me, you know, when I started blogging about mental health and writing about mental mm-hmm. health and doing this seven day anxiety detox and stuff, mm-hmm. and I saw it taking off like in the beginning, those beginning days of starting yeah. that out, and things going viral on Pinterest, mm-hmm. and I was just like, oh my gosh, like 
this is really blowing up and realizing that it's because people wanted to see more mental health content that is still um, evidence-based, that is still, Mm -hmm. you know, um, practical and all of that, but within their faith context is what made it very special. And so, Mm. like, that's really, I mean, that's kind of the intersection that I'm at now. Even though I do feel obviously open to anyone, no matter your belief or background, I want to be helpful, I want to be supportive. Mm -hmm. But I do find that, providing the same level and competency of content and educational resources that the rest of the world gets yeah but in a faith context is very powerful yeah um and very very helpful and like you said i think it helps people recover quicker yes when those things are aligning with their truth you know their worldview in a way that it just clicks mm-hmm. and it yep. re- helps them reframe really quickly yep so um so yeah. that makes total sense and mm. that being said i have one last murky question for sure. you sure <laughs> Because we it. love the murky I questions. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> awesome. The murky gray area questions. Um, so, and this is so this is something I learned, and I would love to hear your thoughts on if um, if a mental health care provider is um, provided with or approached with a client, someone who has very different views, very different beliefs as them, um, it being probably better to refer them to someone who can meet them better in those views for example um say you're a you know you're a christian but you have a client who is practicing you know islam or who is atheist or has or whatever like belief system that really is kind of outside of your worldview or your knowledge Mm -hmm. um i've heard that it's best to look at potentially referring to someone who could better meet them where they are. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. Um, Is that the best thing? Is it not? Will it come off as rejection? Like, I don't know. (laughs) What are your thoughts on on having a client or that therapeutic relationship where, you know, there are these really conflicting, you know, worldviews or even understandings. Yeah. No, that's such, man, that's a good question. I like your murky question. (laughs) Thank you. I I love that. The podcast It's just like the murky, the murky podcast. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So I think, well, one, I really applaud you for noting what you did towards the end, that there's the, there, there certainly is a chance if we, if we have a client come in who has a different belief than us or thinks about things differently than us and we just instantly refer them out, that really can be painful and uh, traumatic in a lot of ways for clients, especially clients from, you know, underrepresented groups who may not have a lot of therapists who closely align to their views and beliefs and so we do want to be paying careful attention to that. We don't want to cause more pain or more trauma to right. our client. Um, so I, I think that is an important thing. I'm glad you noted that, you know, towards the end of, of the question. Yeah. Um, that said, I, I think that, you know, first of all, a client may come in and indicate on their form that they believe something. But as we talked about earlier, they may not be engaging in that or regularly practicing that. So we want to be mindful of that. Um, we also want to recognize that, you know, if the client is there for mental health services, 
as a mental health care provider, we're trained to be able to, again, hold that space for the client regardless Mm -hmm. of what it is that they believe in. I mean, our job is to honor cultural diversity, and that includes religion. We don't have to agree with the the religious beliefs and practices. Um, We don't have to engage in those in order to, you know, be able to be an effective and ethical practitioner. Right. Um, We need to show up to help care for our clients and to honor what they are bringing to the therapeutic room, including their different views and beliefs and practices that are tied to their religion or not being religious at all. Um, Our job is not to convert our clients or to have the same beliefs as they do or anything like that. That's that's not our, you know, when when we're working from our our licensure and our training, that is, you know, we are not there to impose our beliefs. And so, you know, our job is to just help our client um, navigate what it is that they've come to help us with. So I I would say that, no, like if a client comes in with a different belief system, mm-hmm. I mean, work with them in regard to what it is that they're they're coming to you with. But also, if they're coming in with a different belief system than yours and you don't know a, a lot about that belief system, then it is absolutely your ethical responsibility to, you don't have to be an expert in those beliefs, right. but you do have to go out and seek consultation and seek out some information to better understand what it is that your client believes in so that, you know, you're able to work and hold that space for them. And at the same time, it's okay too as a provider to ask your client to help you to understand some things. Um, not, I'm not saying that as in like, let's open up a theological debate in our therapy <laughs> session. Oh my gosh, could you imagine? No, no. Oh my gosh, no. That'd but if your client uses a term that you're like, you don't know what that is, don't pretend that you know what it is. Right, ask right. your client, what does that mean? I don't, un- I, I want to learn more. Um, it's just that element of humility. I think that's really important. That's but we, what it is. You know, we we are there to serve our clients, um, regardless of what it is that they're, they're bringing to the to the room to the therapeutic space together with us. So, yeah, yeah, I love that so much. And that's the key word, humility. It comes yeah. down to humility. I wish everyone in the world had this training. Oh, like among <laughs> our differences, I even noticed like. The way I interact with social media over the years has changed so much um, because of being in this space. Because I do want to be in a space, and even in the future and future practice, where I'm able to hold space for everyone, no matter where you come from, even though Mm -hmm. I will have this specialization in being able to connect with those from the church, being Mm -hmm. from the church. but yeah, so well, and can I can I say one other thing yes, too? Please. So one other thing too, I think about this is you know even and it, c- it continues on with that layer of humility, but um, but also you know just because someone identifies with a different faith tradition than us, it doesn't mean that they're that they think vastly differently about things than we do. Right. For example, I could, you know, identify as Catholic and have a a client who comes in who's Buddhist. And actually, we connect on contemplative practices more than, you know, anything. Whereas I could have another client who comes in who also identifies as Catholic in the same way I do. And perhaps we see things very differently. That's true. Right? So I think that... um, Again, it's a spectrum. Yeah. 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 So I just want to honor that too that you know even though we may check the same box or check different box that doesn't necessarily mean that 
were completely different or completely the same. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. That could not be more true. I'm just like reflecting on all these yeah. <laughs> situations in my life where it's like I've known where I've met Christians and we've just had wildly different yes. views about yeah. people and the life and the world and how we approach things. And I met people who were like non-Christian mm-hmm. and so a lot of our principles or values or beliefs about life were very similar yes um and so I mean you know a lot of the core things may have been different worldview wise but like you said it's just it's such a spectrum and I love just meeting people where they are um and learning all the dynamics that make up a human and I, I just wish that's something that we could all do especially as we just are trying to heal as a country. Yes, I know. Um, you oh, know, but gosh. again, another podcast for another day. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So on that note, um, what is your hope for the work that you do? Mm, <laughs> I love this question because this is I'm one, so excited to see yeah. what you do. <laughs> well, this is one we love to ask um, our guests too on CXMH. Yeah, I stole it from you. Yeah, no, I love it. Well, because, I mean, yeah, just we know folks – they pour a lot into the what they do. And so I really yeah. appreciate you asking this. Thank you. Um, let me think for a second about how to for Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love asking it. I don't get asked it as often. So I would say that the hope for the work that I do is that um, I would hope that, first of all, clients would feel empowered to talk about their faith as it relates to their mental health. Uh, treatment. I know you talked earlier about translating research in understandable ways and you and I, our hearts just beat in that same direction around this. And that's, you know, a big part of why I do a lot of what I do is to translate that research. And so, so my, one of my biggest hopes is that clients would feel empowered to talk about their faith within a therapeutic setting. Um, I also would hope that um, mental health care providers would receive training on this and to recognize the important role they have in the healing process for clients, particularly when it relates to um, including their faith within the, uh, the the treatment plan and and honoring their faith. And that if a mental health care provider did not receive training in this area, which most of them haven't, that doesn't mean that they get an out in not talking about it. Because it's something that's important to clients and it's something we are continuously seeing impacts outcomes in a positive way. Yeah. Um, and so, and then just in general, I think the last hope, Sorry, you get three. That's <laughs> great. Be, um, I just hope that in general that folks see these two areas of their lives, regardless if they're a client or a therapist or yeah. just an everyday an everyday helper in whatever it is that they're doing, that they see this intersection between faith and mental health as being such an important one for them to be paying attention to in their lives. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. And, and just tacking onto that, if you are a person who is going to therapy and, you know, you happen to have a therapist who maybe introduces something that you don't feel comfortable with um, or that doesn't fit with you, be sure to verbalize that. Yeah. Um, be sure to share that and why. 
um, because it is a therapeutic relationship. You're building a relationship. And I just say that because I have been in a therapy session where a book was recommended to me and then I flipped through it and I was like, this is not Mm, like, oh no, this is not what I, like I got the general concept were helpful but as far as the belief system it was just not aligned and I wish at the time I said something um I I was working on people pleasing so Mm -hmm. oh man I'm in recovery for it right recovery people pleaser had a really hard time telling my therapist like this this was not it please don't like refer me this stuff anymore like in a really nice way Mm -hmm. um I wish I did at the time um because I ended up like falling off and not going and looking for someone new. And if I would have told her, that's probably something that could have been built on because she was still great. So just wanted to throw that out there. If you are in therapy or you are encountering someone who's sharing things you don't feel totally comfortable with for whatever reason, um, to talk about it. (laughs) No, that's good. Um, That's good. I'm sorry that that happened in your case, but yeah. She meant well, and it was a great book, but I think it was within her own limitations and blind spots because she didn't share my belief system. She didn't realize where that was problematic for me. Yeah. So... Yeah. Just being willing to to openly talk about it. <laughs> yes. No, that's that's good. That's good. Yeah. Mm. Well, how can those who are listening stay connected with you and the work that you're doing? Because I definitely want you guys to follow along because um, I think this is so helpful and in just continuing the information that you're in data that you're going to be sharing at the intersection of faith and mental health. Yeah. No, thank you so much. Um, yeah, folks can, I mean, they can find me at hollyoxhandler.com. Um, or on any social media at Holly Oxhandler. Um, I put out a monthly newsletter for folks where I talk about um, the intersection of faith and mental health. I share resources and links and, you know, it's, it's another way that I'm trying to translate to get some of this information out more widely, but that's applicable regardless of your role um, in these, these different areas. Um, so they can sign up for that newsletter. And I also, when they sign up, they get a one-week little self-care for helpers guide. So Ooh. I'm a big, big proponent of self-care and the fact that we cannot care for others if we are not taking care of ourselves. Um, so that's Amen. kind of woven in there. I know. And um, yeah, and then they can tune in to CXMH and listen to the episode where I know Robert brought you on um, before oh my gosh. I had joined. Yes. Yeah. So long ago. It feels like forever. It was I great. Know. And then we're going to have to have Robert on next. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Good. That's so good. Um, so yeah, those are, those are a few areas or places where folks can find me. And, you know, as you mentioned, I'm pretty active on Instagram and yeah, trying to share a little mixture of everything, including the data. So yeah, Amazing. I'd love to connect with folks through those spaces. And we'll have all of those links in the show notes. So you guys be sure to check that out. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the work you're doing and for sharing all of this information I don't think people realize like there's so much work that is put behind the content that's shared and people just kind of get the end result of that but there's a lot of background work that you did to be able to share this so clearly and succinctly so I appreciate you thank you guys for taking the time to listen until next time thanks Brittany